On this episode of Rev Hang, Ben and I talk about the IndyCar race in Toronto, the two IndyCar races in Ohio, and the French Grand Prix. Let's do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rev Hang. I'm your host, Nathan Nevue, and alongside me today is my fellow gearhead and co-host, Ben Bagley. How are you, Ben? I'm doing good. I'm hunkering down for this heat wave that's about to hit us this week. Yeah, yeah, we're about to get kind of slammed. Luckily, I am moving to a different location soon, and we'll have AC in that new spot, so I'm looking forward to that. Big upgrade. Yeah, it's a must-have nowadays. Uh... (laughs) all of these heat really waves. Is. Um, yeah, we we seem to be getting more and more of those. Yeah, they're becoming more more common. They're happening every summer now, it seems, when they didn't really used to all that often like this. Uh, but it's, exactly. it's happening kind of everywhere, actually. Like, and we'll talk about that a lot today. A lot of places around the world are really hot, and that's affecting racing as well as day-to-day life. Yeah, <laughs> although... Uh, Everybody's talking about how hot the French GP was, and they're saying, like, oh, yeah, it's like, didn't they say it was, like, 35 degrees C on the broadcast? And mm-hmm. granted, I had to look it up for the exact temperature, but 77, 80 degrees, does, that would be a nice day here. I think it's a little warmer than that. Hold on. Is it? Yeah, I'm going to look this up. Thirty, Because I thought My, 35 uh... was, like, 90. 30. No, it was, oh, like, was 32 it? C, right? Uh, oh, no. That was about ninety, but about yeah, 90? it's still okay. still not too not too bad. It's warmer here right now. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to get up to the hundreds this week. So hunker down if you're hanging out in the valley. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's talk about some racing. We've got three IndyCar races to go through today, so we'll start there. Uh, last week, last Sunday. Um, we had the Honda Indy Toronto in Toronto, Canada. Uh, this is a street circuit, or one of the shortest street circuits on the calendar. Um, laps were under a minute, so um, definitely a short track uh, in terms of um, street tracks. Like usually they're pretty short, but that's that's ridiculously short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's been a while since we've seen this track. Uh, last time was pre-COVID, Canada uh, really shut down. So that was, what, 2018, 2019? 2019, I think, was the last time we were in Canada, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. we have a lot of rookie drivers who have never seen this track before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rookies and even people who have been in the sport for a couple years uh, might not have seen this track. It's pretty, really tight, really bumpy, because it is on just these streets of Toronto. Like, there's stoplights on the track. It's kind of wild. <laughs> stoplights, manhole covers, uh, and textile clothes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it's good to be back in Toronto, I'm sure, for IndyCar. I know a lot of Canadian fans, um, there's a lot of Canadian racing fans. They they, they kind of have their own little uh, passionate group up there, so sure they were happy to see racing back uh, in Canada in the form of IndyCar and Formula One this year. But without further ado, let's just go through the top 10 in qualifying to give you some context for the race. 
In first place on pole position was Colton Herta, followed by Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden. In fourth place was Alexander Rossi, followed by David Malukas and Scott McLaughlin. In seventh place was Callum Eilat, followed by Felix Rosenquist, Marcus Erickson, and Christian Lundgaard rounding out the top ten. Colton Herta with another screaming qualifying position. Yeah. Luckily, he was able to follow through this race. For sure. Yeah, uh, he dev- he did not win, unfortunately, but he still got a great result, I think, placing second. Um, yep. But uh, to get on pole here was definitely an accomplishment, considering this is very much one of Scott Dixon's best tracks. And uh, Scott Dixon has won so many races <laughs> and has Man. won in Toronto so many times that... Uh, it's probably a pretty daunting opponent to take on. Yeah, yeah, he really showed it this race, too. For sure, yeah, he controlled the entire race with pretty much no problem, but let's just get into that. Uh, at the beginning of the race, Takuma Sato at the back of the field got squeezed into the wall and damaged his car. Uh, he pulled to the side of the track, not even making about half a lap, and uh, that was it. Full course yellow came out. Uh, don't, I don't think anybody pit yet because, I mean, it was the first lap, so there was really no point. Um, yep. But on the restart, Scott Dixon took an early lead. Uh, and um, there was a sweatshirt that ended up on the track somehow. Infamous. <laughs> yeah, maroon sweatshirt. I don't know how, how it ended up there. If it got thrown over the fence, like, I don't see any other way. But... Um, yeah, it got ran over several times and um, <laughs> was just getting dragged all over the track uh, for pretty much the entire race. I was actually really surprised that they didn't throw a caution for it. It completed more laps of the race than uh, Sato. That is true. The sweatshirt did complete more laps than Takuma Sato. Um, not ideal for <laughs> for the Japanese driver getting beaten by a piece of clothing. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of just laid on the track, sometimes on the racing line, sometimes not. It's definitely a big hazard because if that gets clogged in a brake duct, that's somebody's race over. That's an instant DNF. Yeah. Although I think funnier than the, the sweatshirt itself being on the track was more the commentators were so interested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They really spun a narrative that got me really invested in, uh, what this sweatshirt was doing. Yeah, that was pretty funny, and um, yeah, they just kept coming back to it and showing shots of it. Uh, and then one of the cars, I forget which car it was, but one of the cars actually picked it up and had it on the end of its front wing for a lap or two until it ripped itself off. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a track hazard that never really got taken care of. Um, but anyway, uh, Dalton Kellett, kind of early on in the race, had an engine failure and was forced to retire. Um, Roman Grosjean had a really good race. He was definitely showing his pace in that he was racy and um, was willing and able to get his elbows out and make some moves uh, up kind of in the middle, front middle of the field. Um, So definitely good to see him putting in uh, the effort and um, getting that result. Yeah, he's had kind of a a mixed season, so Mm -hmm. it was nice to see a little bit of aggression that we saw a lot of uh, last year on his debut. Yep. Um, On lap 45, 
Felix Rosenquist and Alexander Rossi made contact, forcing Rossi into the wall and ending his race. Uh, this one was, I would say, it was hard. I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it was Felix Rosenquist's fault, I guess, if we're putting the blame on somebody. It was hard racing. Uh, there were a lot of, there was a lot of wheel banging in that corner in particular where Rossi ended up in the wall. Um, so, uh, Rosenquist didn't end up getting a penalty or anything. It was just kind of declared a racing incident. Um, but Rossi was definitely not happy <laughs> as, uh, he lost control of the steering wheel as he got hit. So he really didn't have a chance to save the car and that ended his race. And he's had some, some rough luck the last few races. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, he, he can be considered the cause of some bad luck for some of his teammates and past races. That but, is true. Yeah, it was on such a tight street circuit. I mean, sometimes there's simply no place for you to go mm -hmm. if a driver makes an aggressive move. And it just so happened that Rossi was the guy on the other end of that. So it was unfortunate, but at least it wasn't, you know, uh, something that ended up in a penalty or something worse. Yeah. On lap 56, a full course yellow was called for debris in the form of large chunks of concrete on the track. Uh, the cars were, they have, <laughs> they put so much force on the road, um, they were literally ripping chunks of concrete out of the street and uh, tossing them across the racing line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, although uh, that's nothing to say if Toronto is anything like any other big city I've driven through. Uh, my Ford Taurus will rip chunks of concrete out of the street in a lot of places. Uh, it's more an indictment on the city than anything so yeah it those are some big chunks of concrete too yeah yeah i don't know uh if it was the street or if, if it was just the cars being that that insanely powerful um but regardless yeah they were, it's not you don't want to see those big giant rocks basically on the, on the on the track where the cars are basically aiming um that's just a big accident waiting to happen. So they threw the full course yellow, which I think was a good call. I was actually surprised that they didn't red flag the race to repair the road because there were now these big potholes on the corner. Um, but, you know, that's kind of how IndyCar rolls. They just kind of send it. <laughs> <laughs> they just and take it as it comes. Yeah. yeah. It adds the entertainment to have a continuously variable course as the racing goes on. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about IndyCar is they just let people race, and um, sometimes chaos happens, and that's just how it goes. <laughs> so it makes for an entertaining race, if nothing else. For sure, doesn't feel all controlled, and um, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to how to say what I'm thinking here, but IndyCar definitely feels um, more unreg not unregulated, but. I know um, what you're trying to... You know, yeah, I think everybody knows what I'm trying to say. There's a word for it, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, I, they, if I remember the word, I'll just shout it out in the middle of you talking. Okay, sounds good. They'll let you bend the rules a little bit. I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Um, but anyway, towards the end of the race, we had some good fighting between um, Polo and Erickson. Uh, they were banging wheels kind of late into the race in the same spot as Rosenquist and Rossi, actually. Um, fighting for seventh place, uh, looks like Polo, no, Erickson ended up, uh, winning that fight, 
Um, and then also towards the end of the race, uh, Kyle Kirkwood and Jimmy Johnson got together on lap 60, which unfortunately ended Kyle Kirkwood's race. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was able to continue, but I think he was a lap down after that. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was that race. Let's go through the results real quick. In first place was Scott Dixon, followed by Colton Herta and Felix Rosenfist on the podium. Uh, fourth through tenth was Graham Rahal, Marcus Erickson, Alex Pillow, Simon Pagino, Christian Lundgaard, Scott McLaughlin, and Joseph Newgarden. Eleven through fifteen was Pato Award, David Malukas, Renas VK, Callum Eilat, and Will Power. And then 16 through 21 was Roma Grosjean, Helio Castroneves, Devlin DeFrancesco, Jack Harvey, Connor Daly, Jimmy Johnson. And then we had four DNFs, and it was Kyle Kirkwood, Alexander Rossi, Dalton Kellett, and Takuma Sato. Yeah, that that whole race is kind of a, a fever dream for me. I watched it at like 2 a.m. on a Thursday night because I couldn't fall asleep. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. I woke up at like noon the following more, uh, day and... I definitely remembered that I watched it, but I had to go back and rewatch some of the highlights just to remember what exactly happened. <laughs> yeah, there's no shame in that. Um, I I have the same thing when we have F1 races at 4 a.m. Uh, you just <laughs> just kind of like wake up, watch the race, and go back to bed, and then wake up again. You're like, did that actually happen? You're not actually <laughs> watching these live, are you? Huh? You actually do you watch the F1 races live? Oh yeah, I watch every F1 race live. Oh my, this completely changes everything. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah? How how do you do that? Uh, well, it helps that I get up at 5.30am every day to go to work anyway. Oh. Um, so, if most of the races here are at 6am, so it works out actually pretty well, and it doesn't interrupt my sleep schedule. In fact, it keeps me on my sleep schedule rather than me sleeping till noon on the weekends. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Um, but the the 4 a.m. race is like Baku, and I think Japan is going to be at like midnight. So, <laughs> yeah, those are going to be a little brutal. Uh, uh, the midnight one I'll be able to catch. Uh, working swing shift, I can't wake up before 9, but I can stay up pretty late. There you go. Yeah, no, uh, my bedtime is promptly like 10 p.m. <laughs> so, uh well, 10 or 11, but watching a race at midnight, going all the way till 1.30, 2 a.m., and then... Well, actually, I think Japan's on a Saturday. I think that's the race that's on a Saturday for some reason. I don't know why oh, they yeah. do that. Um, but I believe Japan's on a Saturday this year, so hopefully I won't have to get up early and go to work the next day, but I don't know. But I also just got a new job, so, you know, my schedule could change. I have no idea what's about to happen in the next few weeks, but I'm excited and take that challenge as it comes yep Alrighty. anyways uh yeah after that sidetracking <laughs> uh we had a couple races this weekend yeah we've got two more indycar races to go through um it's not done yet yeah first one was the high v deals.com 250 at uh, iowa speedway i believe it's called <laughs> um and um this was on saturday so we had qualifying for both races, and then the first race on Saturday, and then the second race was on Sunday. Um, for the first race, 
the top 10 in qualifying were Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, Connor Daly, Pato Award, Scott McLaughlin, David Malukas, Jack Harvey, Renas VK, Takuma Sato, and Roman Grosjean. I've never seen a, a really short oval track like this before. I'm not super familiar with oval tracks overall to start with, but going from the Indy 500 uh, to Iowa Speedway, or whatever it's called, uh, was a, it was quite an adjustment for me to get used to. Yeah, oval tracks are uh, definitely a different beast. Um, and then it's a lot of people don't realize this, um, especially people that don't really follow racing or NASCAR or anything super closely, um, is that even though ovals are all pretty much ovals, uh, there are exceptions, and some, quote, oval tracks are not actually shaped like ovals. And then every oval also has different, like, radius, like, turning radius and stuff, and stuff like that. So every track behaves differently. The bankings are different. There's bumps on some tracks and not on other tracks. So every, every track is unique, even though they're all kind of just left turns. It's very true. Yeah. So it's, uh, this one is a very short track, um, almost like uh stock like old stock car style racing yeah um where they race on short asphalt tracks uh kind of the the intro before you get to end of the nascar stuff uh you just get these stock cars from like the 70s um with these like big black v8s and stuff like that uh racing on these tracks um yeah it really speaks to how versatile uh, modern indie cars are that they can still continue racing on these super short tracks uh, oh yeah still have it be a, a good spectacle yeah it was a lot of fun to watch uh, there was a lot of overtaking in the first race especially um but that's just kind of the nature of this short track i mean the, the laps are only 20 seconds long and so <laughs> i mean the guy in front is already probably about a half a lap ahead of the guy at back once they start and so yeah. you only have to make up about 10 seconds to the slowest guy, which isn't that hard to do until you start lapping cars, which is why we saw all throughout the weekend there were cars that were three, four, five, six laps down that were still, you know, technically in the race. Yeah, no, it was really weird. And uh, part of the challenge, too, comes from there's, even in the short race, there's 250 of these stupid laps that they have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you've ever tried to do 100, 250 of the same thing, over and over again no matter how short or long it takes that's really hard yeah it's definitely easy to lose your concentration where it is only left turns and so i mean while it's still intense and you're still <laughs> always in danger of crashing at an oval um i can only imagine it's it's very easy to have a just very momentary lapse in concentration that can give you a little bit of a moment um so, yeah, that's that's kind of the challenge of it. Uh, Indies, the Indy 500, I can't even imagine doing. There's 200 laps of that where most of it is just straight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can't miss a single braking zone for 500 miles. That's kind of nuts. But anyway, um, going back to this race, Marcus Erickson made his way to the front and fought with the leaders until he made a mistake um, while battling for, I think, second place. And then he uh, kind of dropped back through the field after that. He made his mistake and then f started, like, really falling back through the field. Um, 
looked like all of his momentum just came to a screeching halt. Yeah. Um, because I believe he ended up eighth after being in like second, third most of the race. So, um, interesting from him where he just kind of lost all of his pace out of nowhere. True. Um, Although he did net four positions from qualifying. He so did. So it's not a complete loss. Yeah. Uh, it's just not quite as good as he probably would have hoped, especially after winning the Indy 500. Right. Yeah. Marcus Erickson is currently the championship leader and, uh, he was talking her this week in interviews about he was telling the uh the press that he feels like he really needs to win at least one if not two more races this year to secure the championship or else he doesn't think he really has a shot and i tend to agree with him so um yeah you know seeing him being aggressive even if it doesn't always pay off i think is the right way to go because um joseph newgarden is so consistently strong and Will Power is also consistently right up there this year. And so is Padova Ward when he's not having technical DNFs. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Erickson really needs to win another race or two to have a shot at the championship. Uh, but back to this race, Joseph Newgarden led the majority of the time. Um, he was really the class of the field in both races. He had the fastest car, and it was—it didn't even really look that close. Um, every time he came on the radio talking to his team, he just sounded so comfortable and like he was just chilling in this car. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was really, really great to hear from him. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he ran away with this one. Um, let's see who else did well. Jimmy Johnson ran pretty well. He uh, actually spun out pretty early in the race. <laughs> uh, and, avoided uh, the wall, though. He did. He avoided the wall, and he, I think, managed to even stay on the lead lap. And then I think there was, I think that actually caused a caution. So they had the full cars yellow for basically nothing, which let him get to the back of the pack again on the lead lap. So he got pretty lucky <laughs> with all those yeah. circumstances uh, spinning out, but staying on the lead lap and staying completely in the race. Um, and he was, he was really strong the entire weekend. Like, I mean, Jimmy obviously... Johnson's kind of always been at home on the oval tracks. Well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of where it comes from. Seven time NASCAR cup champion, uh, <laughs> ovals are kind of his comfort zone. So, yeah. Uh, but Indy cars are different than NASCARs for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's still really cool and impressive and awesome to see him battling literally for podiums in his yeah, second season. Yeah, it definitely season. helps, uh, you know, with that mentality game of just buggered, or uh, buckling down 250 laps oval track, you know. He's got the mental part mm -hmm. probably more down than any other driver on this track when it comes to ovals. I would say so, probably. Yeah. Um. Who else? Pato O'Ward charged through the field later on in the race and uh, made it up to second by the end, passing Will Power and Rena's VK, who were looking very strong. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of the race. Uh, Joseph Newgarden ran away with it. Uh, we saw in both races that lap traffic plays a huge role at the track. Um, and uh, in some cases, the lap traffic... Um, decided who finished where uh you know if you get in the way and there's two cars racing behind you i mean you you where you put your car pretty much determines who goes through behind you 
Yeah, so. yeah, we saw Roman Grosjean kind of take some uh, the fates of some of the drivers into his own hands towards the end there. Yeah. Uh, so second race was the High V Salute to Farmers 300. So it was the exact same race, same track, everything. It was just 50 more laps, uh, running 300 laps. Qualifying the top 10 were Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta, Connor Daly, Takuma Sato, Scott McLaughlin, Jack Harvey, Pato Award, Renus VK, and Felix Resigfist. Um, so this race uh, wasn't actually, I don't think, quite as exciting as the last race. Um, there were definitely weren't as many yellow flags. It was actually green for, I think, the first like 110 laps or something like that. Yeah, it was really clean. Yeah. Um, so Newgarden took the lead and pulled away early, just like he did the day before. Um, Jimmy Johnson cut his way through the field, uh, basically showing again that his prowess at ovals, um, as well as Marcus Erickson, who, just like the day before, cut through the field up to uh, not quite as high as the day before, but he was up in P5 and 6 for most of the race. Um, let's see, Pato Award also made his way through the field. This time he made, he jumped up pretty early on to about third place and settled there for the vast majority of the race. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there was a lot of green, green flag running, lots of pitting under green. Um, so most people were on pretty similar tire strategies and, uh, nothing got really mixed up too much. And uh, when there were yellows, everybody kind of just pitted on the same lap. So uh, in terms of the strategic battle, there wasn't nearly as much of a variance as there was in the first race. But it was was still all right. Um, One of the yellow flags was caused by Kyle Kirkwood, who, while racing somebody, uh, uh, he went three wide into turn one. He was on the top, on the outside. And uh, got into the marbles that had accumulated over the hundred and some odd laps that had <laughs> occurred under green flags, and um, he just slid into the wall like there was nothing he could have done. Yeah, no, it's it's so slick, and on such a short, small track compared to some of the other ovals, uh, there's not a whole lot of room if you uh, misplace your car for error. Yeah, yeah, uh, you you are if you if you mess up, you've got fractions of a second to fix your mistake or else you're pretty much spinning or understeering into the wall or hitting another car it's it's the the margin for error in oval tracks is ridiculously small um but uh speaking of which well i guess not error but joseph newgarden who was leading the race by a pretty comfortable margin had a suspension failure coming out of turn four about two-thirds of the way through the race, and he crashed into the wall and finished his day. Oh, yeah, that was that was hard to watch. Yeah, the man had been running perfectly for the last two days. Didn't put a foot wrong, but uh, his right rear suspension uh, decided to give up the ghost about uh, two-thirds of the way through the race, and... Um, yeah unfortunately that was his day and uh so his his hopes and dreams of leading the indycar championship at the end of this race were dashed 
Um, he's still up there. He's still very much in the championship hunt, but uh, this did not help. Not nearly as high as he'd like. Right. So after that, Pato Award actually cruised to a pretty easy victory. Uh, I think he won by over four seconds, which is like a quarter of a lap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was able to avoid a mechanical DNF. Yeah. So <laughs> of all the people that it would have chosen to mechanically fail out of the race, it was not Newgarden. Yep. So, uh, yep. Award ended up winning. Uh, let's see. At the end, Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, and Marcus Erickson had a pretty feisty battle. Um, and Jimmy Johnson actually came out on top and finished in the top five for the first time in his IndyCar career. Very, really very cool to see there. Very good day for him. Yeah, very cool. Um, I always think it's really cool seeing drivers that are esteemed uh, in in certain race car series go to different series and then also do well. Um, and it's it's also just amazing to me. Like I I I can't believe Jimmy Johnson's able to just cross over like this. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously on the ovals he's doing better because he has the experience from NASCAR, but. The fact that he can even stay competitive and finish in the top 15 somewhat consistently on even road tracks is very impressive for someone who does not have a background in road racing. Yeah. Um, but uh, the results for the uh, High V Salute to Farmers 300 uh, on the podium... In first place was Pato Award, followed by Will Power and Scott McLaughlin. And then fourth through sixth was Scott Dixon, Jimmy Johnson, and Marcus Erickson. Seven through ten was Felix Resnickvist, David Malukas, Roman Grosjean, and Takuma Sato. Eleven through fifteen were Callum Eilat, Colton Herta, Alex Pillow, Graham Rahal, and Devlin DeFrancesco. 16 through 20 were Connor Daly, Ed Carpenter, Alexander Rossi, Renas VK and Jack Harvey. And then 21 through 23 were Helio Castroneves, Dalton Kellett, and Simon Pagano. And then we had three DNFs. And they were Joseph Newgarden, Kyle Kirkwood, and Christian Lundgaard. Alrighty. Alright. So let us move on to a new segment uh, to break things up a little bit. Uh, I've called this Zoomer Rumors. Uh, it's a work We're in progress. Yeah, if you have ideas and you and you absolutely hate Zoomer Rumors, which I'm starting to the more I say it out loud, uh, <laughs> <laughs> please uh, hit us up on Twitter at RevHangPodcast. Uh, leave your comments and ideas. Love to hear from you. Um, yeah, this is more of a, a hostage situation. We'll continue calling it Zoomer Rumors until somebody suggests something else. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, so if so, you hate it, you, you yeah. should be the one to step up because uh, I haven't seen a single you... tweet from anybody yet, so. <laughs> yeah, I would, but I don't have Twitter, so. Yeah, that's probably smart. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want to possibly come up with a name for our little rumor corner of uh, our podcast, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and interact with you guys. <laughs> But anyway, so the way this is going to work, we're just going to talk about maybe every week, every other week, or uh, whatever we decide. Just go through some uh, rumors in the racing world kind of floating around. So maybe some spicy uh, 
musical chairs in the Formula One seat world. Um, we've got some stuff about some possible new manufacturers entering Formula One and uh, just stuff like that. But I mean, you'll see how this goes pretty shortly. <laughs> so yep. first off, let's just start out uh, with IndyCar since we were just there. Alex Pelot, the champion from last year, is officially driving for two different teams in 2023 as of right now. Uh, Aero, McLaren, SP, and Chip Ganassi Racing will probably be locked in a lawsuit involving the future of the IndyCar driver. Um, yeah, this was this was kind of an interesting development over the last week. Uh, I don't know. It really just... makes me realize how little I know about uh, racing contracts. Yeah, did you have you heard anything about this, Ben? Uh, I I've heard lots of other stuff involving McLaren, uh, but I haven't besides uh, the basic rumor. I haven't looked into it any further. Right. So, <laughs> so basically, after the race in Toronto, or I think it was actually before. I think it was the Saturday before Toronto. Um, Chip Ganassi Racing, who is the current uh team that alex Pelot drives for uh announced that Pelot would be renewing his contract and driving for them in 2023 um about six hours later Pelot posts on twitter that that was posted without his permission and that that is not the case and he will not be driving for chip ganassi racing in 2023 and nothing has been officially signed or put out yet according to him Seven minutes after Pelot tweets that, Arrow McLaren SP tweets that Alex Pelot will be driving for them in 2023. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. kind of uh, some <laughs> interesting stuff going on there. Um, but according to Chip Ganassi Racing, Pelot was already under contract um, and had already signed for 23. So, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds because now Polo is locked into a contract in two different places. Uh, so I'm sure there's going to be a lawsuit. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, we'll just have to see because that's pretty much all we know for, for right now. Nothing more has been stated. <laughs> yeah, it's... I'm just going to sit back and let people who are much smarter than me figure out what's going on, and I'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the complicated one. Uh, then we got some um, more McLaren news, this time in F1. Daniel Ricciardo states that his intention is to stay with McLaren for the remainder of his contract, which extends through 2023. Um, McLaren hasn't really officially come out and said anything regarding... Ricardo's statement, um, but uh, it's just kind of interesting. He comes out and says that. I don't know what yeah. that means. It's really hard to know what that means. Yeah, an um, uh, interview with Lando Norris, I don't remember, it was sometime last week, I think, uh, where they asked him directly, "Is like, what's going on with this? And uh, he was very good at uh, avoiding the question and talking about uh, just... Colton in general so mm -hmm. that was kind of funny uh, I'm searching through the reddit rumor right now and uh, apparently from Jenna Fryer uh, when he did his test at Portimao for F1 
uh, his lap times would have qualified him for fourth in last year's race. Oh, wow. Uh, if you're looking for unsubstantiated performance metrics. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. But if that's true, that's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's kind of crazy. Fourth yeah, for last year. The IndyCar year. subreddit is a, a wonderful hive of information. Yeah, that's that's insane, considering I highly doubt Polo has ever driven that track before. Or not Polo, sorry. Herda. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of crazy, going to a track that, at the very least, he has very little experience on. Uh in a car that he's never driven before, in a class yeah, that he's he... never driven before, and putting it what would have been fourth on the grid, which, knowing last year, was probably higher than both Lando and Daniel. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, and yeah, granted, I'm sure the car he was driving is probably slightly different than uh, the cars that were competing there last year. Yeah. Uh, they might have made some tweaks to the MC35 l or whatever they're calling it mm -hmm. uh so that that might have given them some time but either way that's uh that's pretty impressive if it's true yeah very impressive stuff um so that'll be definitely a uh development to watch in f1 is uh that mclaren seat as i'm sure everybody who follows f1 knows by now that's kind of the big question mark in the silly season um yeah but also another question mark that's kind of uh, even been raised even more is that Sebastian Vettel says he intends to stay in F1, um, which I was not expecting. Like, yeah, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I was expecting Vettel to retire at the end of the season because I don't see him getting a drive at a team any higher than Aston Martin, and I don't see Aston Martin improving anytime soon. Oh, brutal. But uh, yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, he whether it's a combination of him just you know not really having it anymore, or uh, Aston Martin just having a really really terrible car. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's one or the other. Well, we definitely know Aston Martin doesn't have a great car. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I didn't really expect him to stay in it for too much longer. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Um... But he does definitely want to stay through next year, I think he said. So um, that's another seat that we thought would probably be open that might not actually be open. Uh, <laughs> so silly season might uh, not be as crazy as we were all thinking it would be. But I really hope Oscar Piastri at least gets a seat next year. Um, yeah. yeah. Speaking about potentially open seats, though. Uh, Latifi has uh, had many rumors swirling around his head about whether he's gonna stick around at Williams. Yeah, um, I I don't see it happening. Uh, he's just not. He's consistently so far behind his teammate. Yeah. Um, uh, today was a, another example of that. Uh, the only people he qualified in front of, uh, we'll talk about it later, uh, but are Science and Magnuson, who took engine penalties. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, I don't see Latifi's seat. Uh, I don't see him renewing <laughs> his contract for next year. Uh, we'll see if he even makes it through the summer break. Uh, that might be a little intense, but uh, it's happened before at Red Bull, so you never know. Um, but uh, Nick DeVries 
the Formula E world champion, I think. I think he won Formula E last year. I think so. Um, drove for Mercedes in free practice one in France and uh, did very well. Only a couple of tenths off of George Russell. So um, uh, I would say he has proved that he can drive the car. I mean, he's definitely done practice sessions in the past. Um, so I would say for the Williams seat right now, I would say Latifi's out, and it's either going to be DeVries or Piastri in. And uh, depending on Williams' relationship with Mercedes, I don't know if it's as strong as it was before uh, the Williams family actually stepped down. Um, but if that relationship's still there, then Mercedes might have some say. And in that case, I would say DeVries is probably more likely to go to Williams. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of leaning towards DeVries. Uh, I think he has a little more uh, maturity than Piastri after, you know, a full stint in Formula E. Not to say that that's really anywhere close to Formula 1, but uh, he looked pretty good in FP1. Mm-hmm. And I think he'd probably be a good pairing with Albon uh, yeah. at Williams, at least for a few seasons while he kind of gets the speed under him. Yeah, I'd say so. Um so one more we've got audi looking to purchase a majority stake in sauber um, which would almost assuredly bump the alfa romeo sponsorship in favor of audi Um, so that would be an interesting development if alfa romeo ended up not in f1 anymore just because a bigger bigger (laughs) company said hey we'll give them more money (laughs) yeah yeah, I wonder what that would mean for uh, Ferrari, too, because Ferrari and Alfa Romeo have a, a pretty good relationship, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, at least they have in the past. So I wonder if that would stay or uh, if that would shake something up. Well, I would I would bet that if Audi took that, that uh, majority stake in the team, they'd probably develop their own engines. Uh, yeah, and then or uh, Porsche's play. developing an engine, right? Yeah, so that's the other. Is that the rumor? That's the other kind of so, rumor-ish. It's it's not. I didn't even put it on here because it's it's almost assuredly confirmed that Porsche and Red Bull will be partnering up in 2026. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like. Whether Porsche is just the engine manufacturer and Red Bull's still the team, or um, kind of what it sounds like to me is they're kind of just going to go 50-50 into it, and they're going to basically just create this super team, which knowing Porsche's racing pedigree and then Red Bull's desire to win all the time. I, I don't, that team is going to be really, really hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking if Porsche does come in and offer engines, uh, to customers, I'm thinking Audi would probably go with a Porsche engine. That's possible. Uh, Cause you know, same company. Yeah. They're uh, both Volkswagen same parent company. Yeah. Uh, both so under that Volkswagen. makes the most sense to me. That's possible. Um, Which in that case, that would make uh, Haas probably the de facto kind of like second team for Ferrari or at least uh, maybe improve the relationship with them. Yeah, well, I think Ferrari's kind of in trouble if they can't figure out their engine reliability problems because, I mean, how long is Haas going to sit there and let their engines blow up every two races? Um, (laughs) Yeah. They could very easily switch to, I would switch to a Renault engine if I were them, but... um, yeah, that's just me. I mean, 
clearly the uh, the Renault engine is actually performing really well for their two drivers, so who knows? Yeah, and Renault's probably desperate for a customer team because they don't have one at the moment. Um, so yeah. they could use that extra money, I'm sure, uh, help them out. So I could see that happening. Haas maybe switching to Renault engines. That would be kind of interesting. That would be a shakeup. Yeah. Um, what I really want is I just need Ford back in the game. If we could get another Ford engine, that would be so cool. Yeah, if you get Ford back in the game, um, yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see an American car company uh, enter the sport. <laughs> Whether that's like Ford yeah. or Dodge, I could see Dodge entering the sport. Like honestly, that would be a sick team. That would be hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> You'd, they would have to get just the biggest personality they could for yeah. their principal and. Just, you know, do the Dodge version of F1. Yeah, it would probably, they'd probably go under the SRT name if I were to guess. SRT or Hellcat Racing or who knows. Something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, that was our Zoomer rumors. <laughs> Gosh. Um, <laughs> please, somebody. Please give us please. social media engagement. Please. This is a threat. I'm not asking for much here. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to Formula One. Uh, talk about this. Uh, it was the French Grand Prix this week um, in Le Castellet, France. Uh, pretty hot out there. It was about 90, like we said earlier in the podcast. As we discussed, yeah. Yeah. So um, that was kind of the story, just like it was in Austria. The tires were not doing well. They were going off way earlier than people were expecting. Um, but let's just go through qualifying real quick. Top 10 for context were Leclerc, Verstappen, Perez, Hamilton, Norris, Russell, Alonso, Tsunoda, Ricardo, and Ocon. Um, as the race got started, Leclerc got a pretty good start and got the field in the first couple of laps. Uh, Hamilton got another good start and, uh, Verstappen got kind of a mediocre start. Um, so they ended up fighting, battling into turn one. Uh, Perez got a pretty poor start and ended up in fourth behind Hamilton after the first turn. Um, Norris also had a bad start and dropped back a few places. Uh, there were there were actually quite a few bad starts this race, and actually most of the races in France for some reason. I don't know why that was, but in the F2 races, there were like, in the sprint race, I think, the F2 sprint, there were three people that stalled on the start. And so they had to like abort the race because they had too many cars on the grid. They couldn't get them out of the way in time before the next lap. Goodness gracious. So, yeah, Magnussen had a great start, though. He absolutely just torpedoed himself up the field uh and it ended up not mattering that much uh because of a, a badly bad timing on a safety car and a strategy that didn't really go along with that very well but yeah unfortunately Haas kind of fumbled on the strategy this week it wasn't really yeah. their fault because the safety car kind of threw a wrench and everything but um I mean they went for it I'll give them that <laughs> they definitely tried something different yeah. And uh, it, it definitely didn't work for them. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Uh, <laughs> you never know. But um, so later on in the first lap, Akon made contact with Yuki Tsunoda and spun him out. Uh, and uh, so Akon got a five second penalty for that. 
Um, I, I don't know. I think it was pretty deserved. I mean, Akon didn't do it on purpose, obviously, but he messed up and took Sunoda out of the race, essentially. So, Yeah. Um, I yeah, would say that, was, uh, that was unfortunate to see. Yeah. Um, after that, Verstappen closed up to Leclerc uh, as the next couple of laps played out and stayed within Leclerc's DRS range for, like, first 15, 16 laps. Um, probably, it looked like to me that he was just saving fuel and uh, saving his tires a little bit. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Signs cut his way through the field and uh, made it all the way up to P9 from P19 uh, after only 17 laps. So, <laughs> driving the wheels off that Ferrari. Um, yeah. Making waves. Uh, <laughs> driving the wheels off your Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, anyways, continue. <laughs> um, on lap 17, <laughs> Max Verstappen pit on uh, pit for hard tires. Uh, and then... The next lap, uh, I think everybody thought that Charles Leclerc was going to pit to cover off the undercut, um, but he didn't. He stayed out and ended up spinning the car uh, uh, and hitting the barriers and ending his race. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that was that was hard. That was that was hard to watch. Yeah, very very hard to watch. Um, he, yeah, it looked like he was he was, it looked like he was honestly having a, a pretty easy breezy race. Uh, obviously, Verstappen is on him, but through those corners, it didn't look like he was really that attainable uh, for Verstappen to pass him unless he got close enough and was able to make it to a straight. Yeah, yeah, it was he wasn't pushing that hard. It didn't seem like, but uh, yeah, he just. Gave it a little too much gas. Um, I think so. He said initially it sounded like there was another problem with his throttle getting stuck open. Um, yeah. But after the race, uh, in the interviews, he said that he just made a mistake. So I don't know if that was <laughs> Bonato telling him to save Ferrari's face uh, or if, if he legit just made a mistake. Um, it's kind of hard to say, but... Yeah, yeah. Who's really to say? Because I mean, last race, uh, you remember he had throttle problems too. Because brake by wire can be finicky uh, if you don't have everything exactly perfect. Right. Or throttle by wire, rather. Rather. Uh huh. Um. So, who knows? Yeah. So that caused a safety car, um, and the rest of the field uh, went into the pits under the safety car conditions. Verstappen was far enough to head ahead um, when the safety car came out that he was able to maintain his lead. Um, so on the restart, Verstappen just drove off into the sunset, and uh, that yeah, was pretty no, much he, it. Yeah, no, he just went on a road trip. Yeah, Sunday drive. behind. Yeah. <laughs> he had no problem once Leclerc was out of the picture. Um, Carlos Sainz. Uh, the absolute animal made his way up to P4 before um, <laughs> being told to pit late in the race for fresh tires. Ferrari pit wall strategy strikes again. Uh, oh, man. So, basically, to explain this situation... Well, actually, we'll we'll talk about that whole thing later. Yeah, we're going to need a, a longer conversation about 
what happened and what led up to that. Yeah. Um, so after uh, Science Pit, uh, we had Akon passing Ricardo for P8. Uh, Carlos Sainz um, made his way back up to P5 again by the end of the race. Um, Russell and Perez made contact going into an overtaking zone, and Russell lined over the radio for like three laps calling for a penalty because Perez didn't make yeah. the corner, even though Russell just ran into him and shoved him off the track. <laughs> yeah, until uh, Dad Toto came on the radio and told him to buckle down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was that, and then eventually Russell was able to overtake Perez uh, with two or three laps left to go, I think. On a really weird, like, a really weird restart after a VSC. Yeah. It, it almost looked like, Perez just stopped in the middle of track for a little bit. Yeah, um, there was Guan Yu Zhou uh, pulled over to the side of the track with uh, Ferrari engine failure, presumably. Um, <laughs> and uh, so there was a virtual safety car while they cleaned that up. Um, so what ended up happening, according to Perez, was they actually got the wrong message sent to them on their on his steering wheel. And so it was basically telling him for like a split second to maintain the delta while at the same as it as it was telling him that it was telling uh Russell that it was a green flag. And so I guess it took a second for that to fix itself and so by the time it fixed itself it was already too late and Russell was past Perez, but that's what they said happened, but that could be Red Bull just trying to blame everything but themselves. Um I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what happened. It was super weird. Perez just kind of stopped on the track for a second, and Russell's just like, "All right, <laughs> I'll take it." Yeah, hold on, give me a sec. I really want to look up. Did Joe end up finishing this race? No. No. Okay, and he he didn't finish the last race. No. Nope. Right. I don't think so. Yeah, because he yeah he didn't finish Silverstone. Let me go to RevHang.com and look at the uh, results of all of the oh, races. Oh, thank you very much. That's much easier than me just looking it up. Yeah. Uh, separately. There we go. Um, let's see. I just see. want to count how many DNFs Joe has in a row so far. Oh, I don't have DNFs listed. I just have points finishes, so that's going to be a problem. Um, <gasps> yeah, I don't know how many DNFs it is. Maybe we can... No, I want, I want to look it up now. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking it up. I'm desperately interested. Okay, I've got... Oh, no, it has retirements. One, two, uh, three, four, five. Yeah, it's five retirements. He did finish in Austria. Good for him. I guess he did, yeah. And in Canada. He got points in Canada. How did I miss that? I don't know. Uh. Oh, that was when I was in Michigan. That's why. Oh, well, there you go. That's right. Um... Yeah, so Guan Yu has DNF'd five times this year out of, what, 12 races? Yeah, something like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, that's yeah, some, that like, is... 1970s numbers right there. Yeah, that is terrible. Uh, and the worst thing is, they haven't really ever been any of his mistakes. Uh, he's either been crashed into or a victim of Ferrari, or a Ferrari uh, reliability. Yeah, the only mistake I can think of was he cut across Pierre Gasly in the sprint race in Imola and spun out and ended his sprint race, but then he ended up finishing 
the actual race the next the next day um but i yeah i can't think of a like legitimate mis- race ending mistake that that joe has made this year um so <laughs> i think he's having a really good season regardless of the dnfs like he's showing that he's a good driver man i can't wait to see how good of a driver he is next season yeah uh or maybe if he's still at alfred Romeo and not fed up with it by the time they get uh maybe some different power plants from a different manufacturer yeah <laughs> um yeah so hopefully <laughs> hopefully they can figure out their reliability issues i mean it's all just kind of on ferrari um but we'll see uh the race ended up finishing verstappen hamilton russell on the podium um yeah all right and then fastest lap went to carlos Sainz, and driver of the day also went to carlos Sainz. He really needed it after that race. Oh, he did, and he deserved it. So, <laughs> he got over forty yeah. percent of the vote for driver of the day. I don't think I've yeah. ever seen a driver get forty percent. Well, you know, when you go from twentieth on the grid up to fifth after Ferrari pit wall strategy strikes, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's no small feat. Yeah, let's get into that. Uh, speaking of Ferrari pit wall strategy, oh man. Uh, Let's so, start at the beginning. Yeah, at the uh, we'll just go through sciences because Leclerc's race only lasted eighteen laps anyway. Um, but so sciences strategy, he started in nineteenth place on the hard tires when most of uh, the other people started on mediums. So he was able to go a little bit longer. He well, actually he didn't go longer because he boxed uh, when everybody pit under safety car. Um, but then everybody else was on hards while he was on mediums, and he already had his hard tire stint out of the way, so he didn't need to uh, do another hard tire stint. Um, so they put him on mediums on lap 18, and then like basically told him to go to the end of the race on that set of tires while everybody else was on hards. Uh, on a, a notably hot day, on a notably punishing track for tires. Yeah. So he, he cuts through the field, and he's actually doing a very good job at saving his tires, it looks like. I thought he was going to be able to do it. Yeah, I thought so, too. I think he would have been able to do it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> basically, on once they got to about lap 35, I think it was a 56 lap race, um, once you get to about lap 35, you're thinking, okay, if they're going to pit him again, they need to do it now so that he has time to make up the positions again. Yep. Because if they don't pit him now and they wait too long, then he's going to lose all of these positions under in one of the longest uh, pit lanes on the calendar. I think the longest pit lane on the calendar. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll talk about it in the uh, the pit lane championship, but we're looking at a, at least a 35-second pit. Yeah, so you're losing 35 seconds in the pits, um, which is very significant. Um, so... <laughs> You don't, you don't want to pit if you don't have to. So they, they left him out, and it was like early 40s. He's It's like lap 42, I think. He's racing Perez for like P4, P3, or P4. Uh, I think it was George Russell. Well, he was in there it? too. They were, he was, he was yeah. right in there with both of them. Um, but basically, 
two laps before that, he was like, all right, we need to box if we're going to box. And Ferrari's like, nah, stay up. We're going to go to the end. He's like, okay. And oh, so yeah. he he stays out. He starts racing everybody, gets past Perez and Russell. And as he's racing Perez, passing the entrance to the pit lane, Ferrari's like, okay, box now, box now. <laughs> he's like... He's like what like, are you t- no he's like no i'm literally racing checo right now so he passes checo goes around another lap and then they tell him the box and so he does and so it's like lap 43 there's 13 laps left in the race and he's about to essentially get a 35 second penalty um oh and on top of that he had a five second penalty at that point too uh for an unsafe release after the first pit stop which just more ferrariisms <laughs> um so he went into the pits served his five second penalty had his pit stop and so he probably lost 35 to 40 seconds on the track and uh i don't remember if they put him on mediums or if they put him on softs for the last they put time. him on mediums i thought they would have put him on softs, softs you know a faster tire considering you have so few laps left yeah that would have made sense to me too but it's ferrari so we'll just <laughs> go with it um so they put him on mediums and he absolutely flew for the rest of the race uh taking he basically set fastest lap every single lap he finished um and uh made his way finally back up to p5 uh to finish out the race but i think it could have been a podium if ferrari didn't hit him again (laughs) yeah no i think he could have continued to gain time uh on hamilton and put distance between him and russell yeah. And eventually that five-second penalty they were worried about wouldn't have mattered. Uh, Russell and Perez were busy losing time duking out between themselves. Yeah, it just so it made it, no sense. Yeah, uh, it was a. I uh, had a friend who had never seen an uh, F1 race before, and I was trying to teach him, and this is a really bad race to try to teach somebody about tire strategy in F1. <laughs> yeah, not. Uh, especially <laughs> with Ferrari making all these decisions. It was like, so... You're talking, and it was like, oh, yeah, and, like, right here, Ferrari will probably do this, and then they don't, and then you hear the radio conversations, and you're like, okay, maybe next race I'll be able to tell you how it actually works, because this is absolutely out of their minds. <laughs> this is not it, yeah. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> I don't I don't even know, man. That's, Ferrari just absolutely had a meltdown today. Uh <laughs> It's just, it's so hard, because, like, it's, it's like they have such a good car. Like, Ferrari and Mercedes are so much closer to Red Bull's pace now than they were four or five races ago. Um, Everybody's right there. I think Mercedes just kind of had an off week, and this wasn't really their track, even though they did get a double podium. Um, But, I, I mean, both, both those cars at Red Bull's pace, the championship can still go really anybody's way. Uh, but Ferrari just continues to shoot themselves in the foot. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> if there is any race for them to really have to get science and strategy right, it's when Leclerc crashes out a third of the way into the race, and now Sainz has to battle his way up on a U set of medium tires. That's when they should have been firing on all cylinders. You know, maybe grab some of Leclerc's engineers, get them on it too. Uh, but clearly that that didn't happen yeah it's yeah it was someone was i don't remember who was saying this but i was watching some like interviews early on in the week 
Um, they were saying that they thought that Leclerc was ready to win a world championship, but Ferrari wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah, mean, no, Ferrari is clearly still in a midfield mindset. Yeah, they, they, they don't... See, to win world championships as a constructor, you have to be perfect pretty much every week. Yeah, uh, this is why Mercedes got so many championships. Yeah, I that's mean, the thing. Sure, they had the fastest cars, but they were also a team that was just so prepared uh, to win as a team with strategy uh, and not just pace. Yeah, Mercedes has always been known for having really good strategy and making very good. Even even when the calls are risky, they tend to pay off for Mercedes. So it's always a pretty good bet. Um, whatever they're doing, uh, they've, they've always been on top of it, and that's why they won so many years in a row. And you could see when they messed up, they lost races. Like, one of the big classic ones is Germany 2019. Uh, yeah. When they, they messed up one of Hamilton's pit stops, and uh, Bottas ended up crashing, I think, that race. And uh, even Lewis spun out a couple times. He finished, though. Um, and I think yeah, Lewis or, finished uh... P9 or something like that, and that was it. Yeah, or Baku 2020. Yep, Baku 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another, yeah. But, you know, in the past, what, three years, only being able to point really to a couple races, mm-hmm. that's the kind of team that Ferrari needs to be. And Ferrari. they are so far from that right now. Because <laughs> I can point to more than half of their races on times they've messed up this season. Um, yeah. So it's, I mean, honestly, if Ferrari didn't have if Ferrari had half the reliability issues and half of the strategy mistakes I think they'd be leading the championship right now yeah and I mean granted we're two 20 something armchair podcasters uh with very minimal racing experience uh between the two of us but maybe Ferrari's hiring for <laughs> strategists Hey, uh, I'd be willing to throw my hat in that ring at that point. Yeah, for real. I mean, I did just get another job, but I would happily <laughs> change uh, change over if 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 Ferrari's looking for some people. Um, I'm open. Uh, just uh, hit me up on Twitter, I guess. <laughs> you can Again, let me know about please. the name you want for the for the rumor thing too. Um, yeah. <laughs> You don't even have to pay us that much, please. We just want to help. Yeah, we just want to, we just we're just there for the ride, along for the ride, there for the experience. <laughs> um, get the Tafosi uh, juice running in our blood. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so <laughs> Ferrari was this week. Um, Mercedes had a very good race. Uh, they would have finished what I guess probably fourth, third, and fourth if Leclerc didn't crash. Yeah. Um. So, very. I mean, just even that is an extremely good race for Mercedes. Very positive That's result. That's really good progress. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hamilton has now finished on the podium like four times in a row. I think. I think every race since Canada. Uh, and he just seems a lot happier with the car. Both of them do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they they had an upgrade in Canada or around there sometime. Um. But it seems like after Baku, like Lewis has been really comfortable and happy with the car and where it's at, like you said. Yeah. Um. So and then George Russell also is kind of growing into his own. I mean, he was kind of whining a little bit this race, but I mean that's what race drivers do. 
Um, so yeah, he and sh- he he finished third, so clearly he's not lacking for pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not afraid to voice his opinions on the car and the direction he thinks it needs to go, and I'm sure he's helping the development just as much as Lewis is. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think Mercedes is uh, kind of um, chugging along, uh, running on all cylinders. And uh, I would not be surprised if they started to challenge Ferrari for the second spot in the championship pretty soon. Yeah, and honestly, if this was last year with last year's cars, uh, but the same driver lineup, I think Mercedes probably would have been, not to slight uh, Bottas at all, uh, he's clearly a really good driver, uh, but I think if it had been Russell and Hamilton and this team dynamic last year and last year's cars, uh, Mercedes, I think, would have been just about untouchable yeah i'd say so too kind of like 2020 yeah Um, yeah really yeah um so and then on the red bull side of the coin uh sergio perez while he was looking very very fast early on in the season has kind of dropped off to where he was last season in the last couple of races it seems um yeah yeah, I, he he's not quite on Max's pace, or he hasn't been in the last couple of races. Um, I don't know how much of that is the track or his car or what the deal is, but um, from what I've heard and rumors through the grapevine and then just things taken from interviews um, that Checo has said, it seems like Red Bull's kind of going down the same path that they did uh, with the last generation of cars, and they're really designing it around what Max likes and Max's driving style. And uh, so it's really hard for Perez to adapt to that. And so he was better earlier on in the season because, uh, I mean, the car was more to his driving style and less of, less to Max's. Um, but now they've kind of moved towards Verstappen's direction, and uh, I think it's kind of hurting, hurting uh, Sergio Perez a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I wondered what Red Bull's plans for him really are. Uh, you know, they talk about, oh, yeah, if Perez is in a place to win a, a world championship, then we're not going to stop him. Uh, but it seems to me that they're kind of like last year, they're going to continue to more use him as a, a tool for Verstappen's success Yeah. Uh, than anything. Yeah, that's kind of what it's looking like. Um, so. But, you know, if Perez is happy with that, uh, then more power to him uh, take you know a more partnership role and just try to help the team more than anything but I, w- I would like him to maybe be a bit more competitive for the championship yeah it'd be it'd be cool to see uh, both Red Bulls fighting each other uh, but I don't know I don't know if that's ever really realistically gonna happen uh, you know Verstappen versus Perez for the championship uh Max is just so fast. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, let's see what else. Fernando Alonso finished 6th, uh, 5th, 5th or 6th? 6th, yeah. Uh, I believe it's 6th, yeah. Really kind of snuck up quietly in there. Just had a consistent race and solid strategy all the way through. Yeah. And I think 6th, I think 5th is probably ringing about all that car's got uh but you know against mercedes and red bull and ferrari i'm that's not a bad place to be in uh they 
believe I just, I believe they just took uh, fourth in the constructors over McLaren. Mm-hmm. So whatever they're feeding their drivers in their cars seems to be working. Yeah, Alonso and Ocon are both doing really well. Um, so I mean, Alonso is just—it seems like every race he's showing why he's a two-time world champion, and he's still got it. Uh, in this race, his team was telling him that Norris was approaching him behind him, and Alonso was like, "Oh, I know. I'm uh, I'm letting him stay behind me so he ruins his tires in my dirty air." <laughs> I was like, what something, a legend. Something, something, experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's just such, that, yeah, that's, yeah, like you said, just, it. you only get that from experience. That's all of his 340 some odd races coming out. Um, yeah. He knows what to do to interact with the other drivers without even <laughs> being in the same area on the track as they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he had a, he had a great race. Uh, what did you think about McLaren this this race? Uh, I think uh, I would say I would say it was a positive overall. They both scored points. Um, I think Ricardo should come away from this weekend feeling good. He was closer to Lando uh, on pace. Uh, one thing I will say is Lando did have like debris lodged in his car for half the race. Uh, which yeah. we found out later, so that could explain why he was a little slower. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think McLaren is just still kind of in that middle of the midfield slump right now. Um, yeah. They're not where they want to be, that's for sure. No. Uh, for a team that thought they'd be fighting Ferrari, and then Ferrari decided that they wanted to fight for the Constructors' Championship all of a sudden, Yeah, uh, I'm sure they're... They're still finding their place and where they need to be. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so that uh, kind of wraps up the French Grand Prix. Um, let's go through, is there any interesting movement in the championship? Um, Perez moves, I think, back up to third. I think, well, did he? No. No, he was in third. That's right. Uh, but he's only seven points behind Car- uh, Leclerc now. So, um, yeah. Perez and Leclerc are pretty tight together. Verstappen's still way out in front ahead by 63 points, looks like. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good buffer. That is a very large buffer. Um, and then George Russell is only one point behind Carlos Sainz, uh, so they're in fourth and fifth. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like I said, if... Uh, if Mercedes starts performing and Ferrari doesn't fix their problems, then uh, Mercedes could get right back in this because Russell could pass signs here in a sec. And then Lewis Hamilton isn't far behind them either. So, Yeah, I think Hamilton and Russell are both probably going to move up at the same rate. Uh, the Mercedes cars just seem super consistent, and they seem like they're really well matched. Uh, so any progress that Russell makes, I think Hamilton will... Uh, very closely follow and vice versa so yeah Um, hopefully carlos Sainz can get his strategy and his car figured out because otherwise i think he's gonna drop down to sixth uh pretty rapidly yeah uh looking at the battle between mclaren and alpine this year um it doesn't actually the the constructors doesn't represent what the uh, drivers is kind of looking like here 
Uh, Lando Norris is in 7th place with 70 points, ahead of Esteban Alcon with 56, and Fernando Alonso with 37. Um, and then Daniel Ricciardo, Lando's teammate, is all the way down in 12th place with only 19 points. <laughs> below Kevin Magnussen. Yeah, below one of the Haas drivers. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, Ricardo's really, really not doing what he needs to do in that car. Like, I don't no. think I've actually looked at his championship standings in a while, but 19 points after... Seeing him at 19, yeah. 19 points Especially behind Magnussen. Races. Yeah, that's... He, Magnussen took a, a year-long break from F1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it that's... Yeah, it's, uh, it's not good. I mean, he's 51 points behind his teammate. That's... I mean, I guess that's kind of similar to where Perez is, but at the same time, Perez also has 163 points. <laughs> uh, 51 points is a lot different when you're under 100 points for both drivers. Um, the percentage change. It's changes. the percentage change, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, Man, if McLaren has any way to drop Ricardo, I don't see them not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Um, and then in the constructors i don't think there was too much movement other than maybe alpine jumping over mclaren uh everything else looks about the same ferrari is 82 points behind red bull and mercedes is only 44 points behind ferrari yeah so that's a single good weekend for mercedes essentially yeah yeah, a lot can change where you're still only about halfway through the season, so lots of racing to come. But uh, that wraps up our Formula 1 section. Uh, let's get to the overtake of the week. I gave this one to Jimmy Johnson uh, as he overtook Jack Harvey and Devlin DeFrancesco in the first race in Iowa. It was a double overtake around the outside of turn 1 and 2, and... Uh, I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> no, not not in such a small track. Yeah, so I yeah I didn't the the amount <laughs> the amount of skill and uh, trust that you have to have in your car to stick to the track around the outside was that was just crazy. So I gave it to him. Um, very very impressive stuff from Jimmy Johnson this weekend. Yeah. All right, pit stop championship. Uh, in first place, uh, we had Max Verstappen in Red Bull Racing. Um, so they take the 25 points. After that, uh, running off the podium was Pierre Gasly and Daniel Ricciardo. And then the rest of the top 10 was Kevin Magnussen, Zhou Guanyu, Valtteri Bottas, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel, Mick Schumacher, and Nicholas Latifi. Um so a rare trip to the points for Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, that's probably the only uh, the only way he's gonna score points this season, likely. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. Brutal. Uh, but yeah, so looking at these times, the fastest pit stop from pit entry to pit exit was thirty five point two seconds. Yeah. And the fastest, the second fastest was thirty five point nine, so Red Bull absolutely killed it on that one. Yeah, a track where pit strategy is very important. Yeah. For sure. Um, so yeah, it looks like 36 seconds was probably about what you should expect on a on a pit stop, a good pit stop. 
That's a really long pit lane. <laughs> it was torturous to watch at some points. Yeah, you're just like watching all these cars drive by, and the cars, you just see the car just slowly driving down the lane. Uh, and they even extended it. They said they extended the pit lane this year from last year. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, even longer, but uh, in the pit stop championship, not too much changes. Perez is still very much on top. Verstappen does close some ground to him, though. Uh, as Perez didn't even score points in this uh, in this week, which I don't know if that's happened yet. I'll have to look. But uh, yeah, they looks like they kind of fumbled his pit stop a little bit. Constructors also kind of same story. McLaren jumps back ahead of Ferrari though. So McLaren is now in second place again in the pit stop championship. Um, and then Haas did Haas yeah Haas did have a good week. They scored twelve points, which is a lot for them. Well, they scored fourteen actually total for the constructors. Uh, very nice. good week. Very good week considering they now have a total of seventeen points <laughs> and are still in last place. <laughs> um, it's okay. They're first place in our hearts. Yeah, we'll give them that. <laughs> All right, predictions for the French Grand Prix that we made last week. They were very bad. Well, okay. Let's just, can we just appreciate what would have happened to my predictions if Leclerc <laughs> didn't crash? Because okay, I didn't see that before. If Leclerc didn't crash, I would have gotten every single prediction right, and, per, and Sainz would have finished sixth as my dark horse. Yeah. <laughs> I am so upset. <laughs> wow okay never mind you win uh but no my top five was wrong because Leclerc uh binned it so <laughs> yeah you had a a minus one offset <laughs> yep so the top five this race were Verstappen Hamilton Russell Perez and Sainz um I chose Leclerc Verstappen Hamilton Russell Perez and then Sainz as my dark horse <laughs> Yep, and then I had Verstappen, Leclerc, Alcon, Hamilton, Russell, and Perez. Uh, really, uh, well, Alcon didn't do quite as well as I had hoped. Uh, but at least I had Hamilton and Russell in the top five. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And we we both had uh, Hamilton beating Russell, which did end up happening. So we can uh, text our buddy who said that that wouldn't happen later. Oh, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to... Absolutely slap him around with that one. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, so, and then fastest lap, I guessed Verstappen. <laughs> I guess Leclerc. And it ended up going to Carlos Sainz. And then driver of the day also went to Carlos Sainz, but I said Ocon. And I chose the other Frenchman, Gasly. Uh, it was a sad day for France. Yeah. Uh, sad but it was day. also a sad day for a lot of teams and a lot of drivers so yeah <laughs> um okay the hungarian grand prix next week um i believe you went first last week so i'll go first this week uh i am going to oh man this is so hard <laughs> no, it's like how can i how can i bet on ferrari <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i just can't you've just broken our hearts so many times <laughs> yeah um all right, I'm going to say Verstappen, followed by Perez, followed by Science third, and then I'll say... Oh, man. <laughs> I'll say Leclerc fourth, 
I'll say Hamilton <laughs> fifth, and then Russell is my dark horse. Oh, I hate it, but all right, we'll, we'll roll with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody's stopping for stopping at the Hungary. Hungary? Hungary? Hungary ring. How do you say that? Hungary ring. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to have Verstappen in first. I'm putting, uh, you know, I'm going to put Hamilton second. I think he's got a lot of momentum. I'm going to put Perez third, Russell fourth. Uh, I think the Ferraris will either finish really well or not at all. So in fifth, I'm going to have Fernando Alonso. And then as my dark horse, uh... You know, as my dark horse, I'll, I'll pull the clear, just in case. Okay. <laughs> All right, fastest lap. Just to hedge my bets. Uh, fastest lap, Verstappen. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be Verstappen. Okay, uh, driver of the day. Um, ooh, let me see. You know what? I'm actually going to say Leclerc because, yeah, I, I have a feeling he's something bad's going to happen in qualifying. He's going to have to make it up in the race. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to say Hamilton. I'm going to say he doesn't qualify well and then uh, has a, a great recovery drive to podium. Okay. Wow. All right. Those will be interesting predictions. <laughs> um, you got to keep it interesting. If you're going to get it wrong, it might as well be entertaining. Exactly. So you know. Um. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Now, okay, it has been a long episode, um, but do you have anything else you would like to add before we sign off for the evening, Ben? No, I'm, I'm hungry. Let's go get some dinner. Sounds good. That sounds fantastic. Um, so <laughs> without for further ado, thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of Rev Hang. If you enjoyed it, leave a like or rating on the platform you listened on. It really helps us out. If you'd like to follow our thoughts and opinions on the motorsport world, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at RevHangMedia. If you have any thoughts or questions about racing or even about us, post a tweet at hashtag RevHangPodcast and we may feature your question on the next show. Also, please post something at hashtag RevHangPodcast about the horrific Zoomer rumored thing. I, I know. Um... <laughs> Or don't. Maybe you support it. Maybe. Yeah, so it's going to be Zoomer rumors as long as uh, as long as long you guys don't say anything. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, you can follow Ben on Instagram at BenjiMeetsWorld and or myself at 2N underscore squared. While you're at it, go check out our website, RevHang.com, where you can find a calendar of upcoming races, updated standings for the racing series we talk about, along with our often very incorrect predictions for the F1 season. We'll return in a week to talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix, but until then, I have been Nathan. And I've been Ben. Make sure to uh, take your allergy medicine, folks, and uh, use your sunscreen. (laughs) Have a good summer, and thanks for hanging out, guys. See you later.